0: who we are and that you would love sinners like us so much that you would send your son to die in our place to take the wrath that we rightfully deserved and he would give us his righteousness as a free gift that we might know you have a relationship with you and that we might spend all of eternity with you as you intended. So, Father, as we gather, I ask that you continue. Help us worship. Help us worship through hearing your word and hearing it preached and considering how it affects our lives. Father, soften our hearts to be ready to repent when necessary. Be ready to repent whenever your spirit convicts us. And, Lord, may we always fall back on the sure grace and hope that we have in Christ because of his death and his resurrection. So we're so thankful and we're eager to how you will reveal yourself here in these next few minutes. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: I'm going to invite you this morning to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians with me. Is my mic on? Yes. I thought I turned it on before I put it on. Am I on or am I only coming through here? Yes, I'm on. Okay, okay. Good. Uh invite you to open your Bibles to First Corinthians with me. The uh well first let me just uh just say a word and encourage our college students for the way they've led us in worship this morning. Give the Lord a hand for that. It's uh really just represents the way that our college students Um, over the last few years and, uh, probably me more than a few years, but certainly in the last year, um, under Landon's leadership, uh, as the college ministry intern has, they have, have worshiped and held one another in, um, accountability, held one another to, to the gospel, reminded one another of that, uh, loved one another, rebuked one another, and just, just cared for one another, um, Saying that what they what they did uh, on Monday nights over this past semester as they went through first and second Corinthians, and really uh, kind of an overview of uh what are we supposed to do as the church? you know wh- what are some hard words of rebuke that we need to hear from Scripture to remind us um, of what the gospel is, to remind us of the cross of Christ and what Christ has done for us. And remind us how at times we walk away from that and we need to be reminded that the answer to our relationships, the answer to our uh, sexual immorality, the answers to all of the sin that we find ourselves in. And then because of that, our church uh, will find itself in in times. And when I say our church, I mean our local body, but also the universal church, the way the church of God finds themselves in sin, but the answer is always to look to the cross of Christ. It is always to look to the gospel, and so that is what our college students did over the past few months, which uh, which was part of what led me to First Corinthians chapter one today. And the other part of what led me to First Corinthians chapter one today is over the last few weeks, um, I've just been I felt led by the Lord to to take our our student ministry, take our youth group. Um, Kind of into a place for the summer, I always kind of ask the question and pray through, you know, Lord, where where are you leading us next? And sometimes we're going through books of the Bible, usually during the year, we're usually doing that. And the summers are kind of inconsistent as far as we don't meet every Wednesday because there's camps and we're all over the place and different things happen that just affect our schedule. Uh, so really what I felt led to do for the summer is to talk about the church. Uh, what does it mean to be a part of the church? What do we need to hear as the church? Um... Because as the church, we see this in two ways. Individually, we are the church. Uh, but God calls us to come together as the church. Um, and so this instruction from 1 Corinthians is certainly how we're called to come together as the church and how specifically we're refined and we're um, corrected in love and, and brought back together to the purpose that God has called the church to. So... Um,
0: let me give you a little bit of
1: background from, from 1 Corinthians. Uh, a little bit of background from 1 Corinthians, excuse me, from the city of Corinth. The city of Corinth was a, was a port city, trade route hub. What this means is there was a lot of commerce going on. What this means as societies change as a whole, the places that are the trade centers change the fastest. So as, 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 as societies change, it's always those larger cities, those places where there's lots of commerce that change quicker. If you're, if you're kind of off secluded and there's not much coming and going, then society will stay relatively the same and it takes longer to change. But as people are coming, going and different ideas are brought in, it affects uh, the city city of Corinth, I think probably the best way to just kind of quickly describe what it was like if you just think, okay, you know what about Vegas? Everything happens in Vegas, stays in Vegas. We think of those terms like that would maybe be the quickest way to for us to describe um, describe what it was like there uh, there were there's lots that we could say about uh the problems of Corinth, but one particular uh theologian that I was I was reading through some commentary on kind of overviews on Corinthians Thursday night, and this one statement I thought was very good. So I want you to hear this statement um, and reflect on it. The problem wasn't that the church was in Corinth. Okay? The problem wasn't that like all of this uh, all the sexual immorality and the things that were going on in the city. The problem wasn't that God placed the church in Corinth. It says this, The problem wasn't that the church was in Corinth. The problem that too much of Corinth was in the church. I want you to hear that for us. The problem is not where God places the church causes sin to come into the church. The problem is that wherever God places the church, wherever God places you and I, we let too much of the society come in and tell us who we are. Come in and tell us, this is what brings you joy. This is what brings you happiness. When the world is is communicating to us what is joy and happiness and peace, that's the problem. Okay, We're called to be light. We're called to be in the world but not of the world. And so what Paul is doing here in 1 Corinthians is reminding them that what we need inside of us, we don't need the community inside of us. What we need inside of us, leading us, guiding us, directing us, that's our mission, that's our passion, that's what we're after, is the gospel of Christ. Specifically refers to the cross of Christ here in chapter 1. And honestly, as we just, as you go through, we're not going to go through all of, 1 Corinthians or Second Corinthians, but um, as you do overview, let me just kind of just kind of went through to pick up on some of the topics and ideas uh, of First Corinthians. We see um, we see ideas about leadership, okay, and following leadership and how leadership is to lead according to the gospel. We see discipline, church discipline, as the church has to deal with sin, and discipline is not to. To tell somebody you're wrong, but the idea and the goal of discipline is to bring people back into the fold, um, to bring people into right relationship with God, uh, to represent Christ appropriately. Um, we see in one Corinthians um, sexuality. Okay, we see talk of of marriage and of divorce and of singleness and of idolatry, spiritual gifts, worship, love resurrection, giving, and each and every time Paul writes of these things, he brings us back to the gospel. He brings us back to the cross of Christ and how it affects those things. So without covering it all, we're going to try to cover a lot from chapter one. So I want you to please make sure you keep your Bible open and uh, I'll refer to um I will refer to the text a lot and point us back and call out, look at verse 2, look at verse 7 and such as we go through. But let me pray and then we'll get into the, the main part of the text, the meat of it. Let's pray. Father, I pray, thanking you for bringing us together. For bringing us to 1 Corinthians. Father, we want to hear from you today. Today, we want to care for one another. We want to be faithful to your word. As you are always faithful to us. Father, we want to be faithful to your word as it guides us. As it guides us amidst the culture around us that is always shifting. Father, we pray that we would honor you as a church. We pray that we would submit to you. Father, I pray that what happens is that we have the gospel inside of us. That even though we are inside of a city... And even though there is sin and a changing culture around us, Father, I pray that what is inside of us is a cross of Christ. Father, I pray that it produces in us um, what we'll see in the Scriptures this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How the Gospel Affects the Church Okay, Let me read the first few verses. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. This is in verse 1. And our brother Sosthenes. Verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. Called to be saints together. Let me say that word again. Together. This is our call. Okay, these things were called by the will of God to be, Paul was called by the will of God to be apostle of Christ Jesus. He's writing this to the church of God, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, who are called to be saints, but called to be saints together. With all those who are in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and to the Lord Jesus Christ. So here Paul is, is greeting them. Grace to you. Peace to you. Grace, the foundation of our faith. Peace. Grace being the root. Peace being the fruit that comes out of grace. Saying, I wish you know the grace of God and the result of that. Be in the peace of God in your hearts. This is what I'm praying for you and calling out to you. So he greets them in a way that is, is pretty typical. But then he shares a few things here. And these are kind of the main headings, which honestly are all throughout the Scripture. They're all throughout the text here, but as I'm going to point us, I'm going to point us just to just to one place. I'll refer to a few places, but point us just to, just to one place in the text. And this is the first one. And I would say this may be the the largest idea here in the text, and that 's why we 're starting with it. the gospel humbles the church, okay this was in our prayer this morning um, as Warren prayed this morning that was that was a major theme in the prayer It's, father that, that we are not where we are because we've deserved it, but we are where we are um, because you 've given it because you're good and you 've given it that's where we are the gospel. Humble is the church. So let me read through kind of a few ideas and then we'll, we'll kind of make sense of it more uh, towards the end of reading through these ideas. But first is the called. I want you to hear the language here, okay? We are to be humble. The church should be humble. When we walk around with this idea that we are where we're at because we've deserved it, okay? That we earned it and God looked on us and said, you know what, I think I need that guy in my kingdom. Or maybe we didn't start that way and we know that God loves us and chose us because of His goodness. But then after we've become a Christian, we begin to think, well, you know what? Alright, it was grace that I was saved, but now that I'm saved, I really am doing a lot. Okay, I really am doing a lot. And what I've done compared to what others, and we look at who we are versus who we were. We look at who we are versus who others are, and we begin to size some things up. Um, if what comes out of our salvation, if what comes away, when we look at the gospel... When we look at the cross of Christ, if what comes out of that is this idea that we've arrived, we've done something, we've missed it. So let me read through a few of these. This first, the called. God, the gospel humbles of the church. First, the called. Look at the language. This verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God. Called by God. Called by God's will. Not by his own effort. Not by his own. But called by the will of God. Look in verse 2. The church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. Look down in verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. But God is doing the calling. Okay, verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block... To Jews and folly to Gentiles. Actually, verse 24. But to those who are being called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God. Those who are being called, who's the power? Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. And then now look in verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. So the scripture here, and uses it all throughout scripture, is using this language. Okay? If, if you or I begin to get too big for our britches, if you or I begin to think that we are, that we are who we are because of what we've done, because of what something we could do, because of something we've done since we were saved, we need to be reminded by the gospel first that we were called by God. Okay? That God called us out, that it was His calling, by His power, by His worth, by his might, by his strength, by his truth, this is completely full in the text today. But let me continue on with that, and and so we see that it's more just more than just the fact that that we were called by God. Um, but look at the contrast of the called. I wrote twenty eight there your, on your page. It's in it's in there too. But eighteen, I think, is what I really meant to write there. Look in verse eighteen with me. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written. This is the contrast here. The contrast of the call. Next blank. Foolish to those who are perishing. And then the next blank. Powerful to those who are being saved. Okay. The contrast of the call is this. The word of the cross. The idea of the cross. Okay. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. Those who are Muslim would hear this idea that God became man and it's instantly foolishness. God would never become man. God would never become man. That's not who God is. It's an insult to have this understanding that God, who is deity, who is all-powerful, the creator of all things, would ever become man. So the idea of the cross, the idea of the gospel is foolishness. To those who are perishing. Those who are Jewish would also say this is foolishness. Not that God will become man, but the idea that the Messiah King would ever give his life on the cross. That the Messiah King would ever suffer for those who are perishing. This idea, again, is foolishness. And then, of course, in our society, this idea that, wait a second, the. the and again, we heard this in our in our prayer this morning um, as Warren led us through this this idea that that Christ has made Himself nothing, that 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 Christ um, was a servant, that Christ gave His life for us. See, this is the contrast of those who are called; those who are called hear the message of the cross, and those who are not called hear it foolishness. It is foolishness for those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. The idea that our Savior, whose royalty would have a marriage with the simple, I know we heard a little of that yesterday, but I'm talking about real royalty, okay? I'm talking about deity. I'm talking about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Creator of all things, who is good, who is kind, and who is merciful. And who came to give his life as a ransom for many. The idea that the last is first, I think what was in our prayer this morning, um, that, that, that you make yourself low, that the last is first, that the first is last. This idea is foolishness to those who are perishing, but is powerful to those who are being saved. Again, this idea to remind us that the gospel humbles the church. We come away from the gospel proud of ourselves, proud of what we've accomplished, and think for some reason that something that we have done has put us ahead of somebody else. Then we haven't been influenced by the gospel, but what we have is more of our community inside of us, instead of us living the gospel in our community. Okay? The cause of the call. Okay, look with me in verse 26 to 31 and see the calls of the call. Verse 26, for consider your calling brothers. Consider your calling brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. The cause of the call. See the description of those who were being called. Here's the description of you and I. Okay, this is what the gospel tells us that you and I are. Consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Verse 27, but God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not, to bring to nothing things are for this reason, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom of God from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast only in the Lord. So the description of those who are being called... Um, not many of you were wise. Not many were powerful. Not of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish. God chose what is weak. God chose what is low. So that none of us would boast. But when we boast, we boast only in the cross of Christ. We boast only in the gospel of Christ. What Christ has done for us. So the gospel humbles the church. This is the description of who those who are called the weak, the humble. We go to the Beatitudes. Um, You don't have to necessarily turn with me, but this is what Jesus says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. And if we need any more proof that God uses the lowly, that God uses the weak, that God uses the foolish, um, then we look to the youth ministers. Okay, And we look to those. And a lot of us, when we think back of how we parented, we think, oh my goodness, God chose me and used me and look what he's done, you know. And so this is true. OK, the gospel is true about this. The description of those who are called weak, lowly, not wise, not noble, those things. See the description of those who are called. OK, but also see that it's not because of us that we're called. It's not because of who you are, but it's because of him. Okay, it's because of who God is. Okay, so let me kind of summarize this some. Let me kind of do some wondering. Okay, what what are we saying about this? Okay, now what are you talking about this? Is this are we are we focused on election here? Is that what we keep talking about? Being called, talk about being chosen. What we're doing here is reading the scriptures and speaking of them as if they're as they are written as they are written here. So let me kind of. Con- bring this some together. Okay, I wrote on here two biblical mandates. I don't know if mandates is the right word. Two ideas for worship. I, I wanted to first say uh, two, two consequences or two outcomes, but I want you to think these are two different. Okay, these are two together. These are two things that we must come away from reading what we just read, hearing what we just heard, and this idea that the gospel will humble us. Here's the truths that we need to come away with. Okay, here's, here's our action and our response here. Okay, so I wrote two, two biblical mandates. You can write two responses, but they're both. There's not one or the other. It's these are both. This is how the church should respond to what the gospel says here. Okay, give God all the glory for your salvation. Okay, give God all the glory for your salvation. Okay, this is what... Ephesians 2, 8, 9 say, For by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's by grace that we've been saved. And this is through faith. We receive that grace through faith. And this is this. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So it's by grace that you've been saved and you receive that through personal faith. But it says that even that faith is not your own doing. It's either referring to that faith or the grace that comes by faith. But either way, it is by grace that we're saved through faith, and it is not of our doing. And why? Why is he saying that? It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So what I'm saying here, from the Scriptures, all throughout the Scriptures, we must give God glory for our salvation, This should humble us that our salvation is because of God, because of who he is. Um, let me read this quote, and then I want to give us a word of caution from that and make sure that we don't take that too far. So let me read this. Okay, this is a quote from Charles Spurgeon. It says, One weekend when I was sitting in the house of God, I was thinking about the preacher's sermon, for I did not believe it. The thought struck me, how did you come to be a Christian? I sought the Lord, but how do you come to seek the Lord? The truth flashed across my mind in a moment. I should not have sought Him unless there had been some previous influences in my mind to make me seek Him. I prayed, thought I, but then I asked myself how I came to pray. I was induced to pray by reading the Scriptures. Well, how do I read, how how come, How how came I to read the Scriptures? I did read them, but what led me to do so, then in a moment, I saw that God was at the bottom of it all and that he was the author of my faith. And so the whole doctrine of grace opened up to me. And from that doctrine, I have not departed to this day, and I desire to make this my constant confession. I ascribe my change wholly to God, and that is what I am suggesting That we ascribe this change. We ascribe that the gospel has transformed us. That it's changed us because God has called us. Because God has chosen us. That God has chosen the weak. And he's made wisdom from that. That God has chosen those things. But, let me stop for a second and make sure that we read all of what we're reading here in the scripture. Go with me. Uh, to verse two, or actually write this on your page first. Give God the all, give God all the glory for your salvation. But second, recognize that we are still responsible for our sin, and we are still responsible for our choices. Read to me from verse two. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together, with all those who in every place Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So in verse 2 it says this, that we were called to be saints from God. That God calls us to be saints in God. But the Scripture also says, those who are in every place, who call upon the name of the Lord. The Scripture says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The Scripture tells us over and over that we must have faith in Christ. That we must call upon Him. That we must repent of our sins and turn to Him. Yes, the Scripture clearly teaches us that God deserves all the glory for our salvation. That we should give God all the credit for our salvation. That we ought to be humbled at the fact that we are saved not because of what we've done, but because of what He's done. That it's by grace, through faith, that we've been saved. And not of our own doing, so that we can't boast. It's His doing. Because of that. But the Scripture also calls us to call upon the name of the Lord. Tells us that God is completely sovereign over salvation and gets all the glory of salvation. But we are completely responsible in responding in faith to Him. And we'll be held fully accountable of not responding in faith. And those who call upon the name of the Lord who do respond in faith are saved because of what Jesus has done for us. So in summary, this idea, God give God all the glory for our salvation. And recognize that we're still responsible for our sin and choices. So the quote from Charles Spurgeon, let me just share a little more. Um, I've had this conversation with people um, throughout the years. Um, remember... Um, about six, six, seven years ago, talking with the dad um, about this idea and to say, okay, you know, God being sovereign over our salvation, but us still being responsible, what does the Bible say? And as we open up the scriptures together, we continually saw this back and forth, back and forth, and we see both. The Scripture shares with us both. I can't exactly explain how that works together, but we don't have to um, maybe explain that in terms. We need to continually come back and see that the Scripture teaches us both of those are true. The Scripture teaches both of those are true. Let me just explain it this way uh, for myself. This is this is personally understanding what we're just reading right here. Um, here's what I believe about my salvation, Okay, that I didn't earn it. That I didn't deserve it. That I've done nothing since to deserve what I've been giving. And God receives all the glory um, for my salvation. But here's what I also know. I know that I came to a place in my life in which I wanted Jesus more than anything else. And I know that I made a conscious choice to follow after Jesus and salvation. And so when I think through that and look at the Bible and to say, what does the Bible say about this? This is the only understanding that can settle my heart with this. So the only understanding that can settle my heart with this is that, yes, I chose Jesus. But why did I choose Jesus? Was I smarter than the guy who doesn't choose Jesus? And if I was and I did it because of my brain, if I did it because of the chemistry in my body, that I had nothing to choose the chemistry in my body. That God gave me the brain that he gave me. If it was because of experiences and my mom and dad loved the Lord and told me about the Lord because of a youth pastor who modeled the gospel for me and shared the gospel with me over and over because of friends who were walking with Christ that showed me that Jesus was better than all things. Was I born where I was by my own choice? Who was it? And so whether it comes down to it, God is sovereign over our salvation. And yes, I believe that I chose to be saved and I chose to follow after Jesus. But I believe that God... God gets credit for my choice. I believe God has shown me the beauty of the gospel. If somebody came to you right now and said, here's millions of dollars, here's joy and peace and happiness, here's everything you'll ever need, if somebody came to you and said, I give you choices, here's a great choice, and here's a terrible choice, um, what would you choose? Well, I chose what I saw to be more infinitely valuable, and I choose continually, day in and day out, to choose what is infinitely better and greater. Why am I choosing that? Because God has given me the desire of my heart. Because God has given me those opportunities. Whatever reason it is, um, want to come away from the idea that God receives all the glory for our salvation. Say all that to say that the gospel humbles the church. May we be humbled by the gospel. Next, the gospel satisfies the church. The gospel satisfies the church. Go with me to verse 4. In the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The gospel satisfies the church. And look in verse 8. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are guiltless. We are guiltless. We come in here this morning with memories of our sin. We come in here with memories of knowing where we failed. Guilt in our hearts about choices we've made that didn't honor God. Guilt in our hearts about things that we're currently in. Understand this. The gospel satisfies the church. The gospel is everything the church needs. Scripture says this in verse 8. Who will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're guiltless in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the next, and we are gifted. Look in verse 7. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are not lacking in any gift. We're gifted. Single moms, hear me. You're gifted. Okay. Single dads, Gifted. Moms and dads who are together that are wondering, how am I going to raise these kids? I don't know that I'm cut out for this. You're gifted. How will I clearly communicate the gospel to my kids? Scripture says that we're guiltless and we're gifted. Let me tell you, as as I read through this and I typed these words on my page last night, I began to cry. Began to cry last night, probably done with it because of that. Because this is what I cried about. There are times that I had so much angst about what was going on that I was scared to death. That I was fearful about things that were going on. Five, six years ago, I remember sitting down with Pastor Bart and I was upset. And I was worried and I was scared. And he looked at me and he said, Steve, he said, if the Lord wants to float this ship, it'll never sink. And if the Lord wants to sink this ship, it'll never float. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Let me tell you something. God has gifted His people. I wonder sometimes, how do I stand up here? How can I do this? I'm worried I can't do this. How can I lead teenagers? Every year classes graduate and move on and I'm worried, oh no, what are we going to do? You know, I love so many of them. All of them. All of them. Um, What am I going to do? Uh, and then I look at the seventh graders coming in and I go, oh no, what am I going to do? <laughs> Parents are laughing the, the hardest because you know. And so I wonder, what are we going to do every year? And I get nervous about it and I get worried about it and I get scared and I wonder, can I lead anymore? Can I do this anymore? Was this a flash in the pan? I think things have gone well before, but can they continue? Let me tell you something. The scripture tells us this. I'm guiltless and I'm gifted. And you're guiltless and you're gifted. No matter where you're at right now, when you're struggling through wondering, how am I going to accomplish what God's called me to do? How am I going to lead this organization? How am I going to lead this church? How am I going to lead my family? How am I going to lead people around me? Understand what the Scripture says here. The gospel satisfies the church. We're guiltless and we're gifted. Next, the gospel unifies the church. Okay, There's no reason for division. There's every reason for exalting Jesus. Verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and there be no divisions among you, that you may be united in the same mind and the same judgment, for it has reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you brothers. What I mean is that each one of you who says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos, Or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Christ? So he's talking through these divisions. But I want to kind of summarize this because I don't think I have time to go to the other passages I want to say about this. So let me kind of summarize this. Here's what he's going to. Okay, The divisions are coming because people are elevating themselves or what they want. Or they're elevating individuals among themselves because they say, this is the guy I would rather follow after. And then he says this, was Paul crucified for you? Was it me that was crucified for you? Was Bart Walker the one who was crucified for you? Was Jim Spencer the one who was crucified for you? Was it your mom or your dad that was crucified for you? Were the other saints of God, and I, God rest their souls, eye, I'm so thankful for the saints of God as we're talking about the church. Don't see this as a negative thing, but were they themselves crucified for you? We, need, we can't go to what others want. We can't go to what we want. We have to go to what God's word wants, what God's kingdom wants, to what Christ wants. Because Christ was the one who was crucified for us. We were baptized in the name of Christ. And so this is the idea that our gospel unifies the church. There's no reason for division, but there's every reason for exalting Jesus. No reason for us to be divided, but there's every single reason for us to exalt Jesus together. I want to share this illustration about this. Alright, about division. Okay, this is not all division, but let me just share this because I think this is super important. Alright. Unity and diversity is important, and let me share this. Alright, so if I told you, okay, there's somebody coming to town, he's an artist, he sings these songs, he sold millions and millions and millions of records, And then I said this, and his name is Justin Bieber. How many of you guys want to go and to see him? Okay, maybe today nobody would want to. But I know five, ten years ago, every single 11 and 12 and 13 year old girl in America and across the world would want to go. Okay, so if I said to you, listen, he sold millions and millions of records. Clearly, he's talented. Clearly, he's worth going to see. Clearly, it's worth your money. And most of us would laugh at that and say, no way. You know why? It's kind of laughable. Because there's no diversity there. But if I told you there's an artist that those from 11 and 12 years old to those who are 90 years old, those who are white and those who are black, if I said there were those who were poor and those who were wealthy, if I said there were those and started showing you this diversity and saying millions and millions of records and things, you would say, you know what? That actually says something about the talent there. That actually communicates something about what's important there. Here's what I want to say. Okay, none of us would ever put up a sign and say, only this person is welcome here. Only people that look like me, that are my age, that are my political affiliation, that are my this, 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 and go through a list. We'd never put up a list and say, those are the only kind of people who are welcome here in our church. Let me ask you this, what kind of people do we associate with day in and day out? It's the people that are just like us, that are in that same age group, have that same political affiliation. Usually they're very similar in demographics and socioeconomic things. So what I want to say is the gospel unifies the church and it shows the value of the unity when you see diversity that is unified because what's in them is greater than those other things. Gospel unifies the church. And then last, the gospel transforms the church. The gospel transforms the church. Look in verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Look in verse 4. I give thanks to my God in every, and my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. And then verse 5, that in every way you are enriched in Him. And then verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then now in the main part of this, verse 30, this will explain it more. Verse 30, And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Then these three things, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. The Gospel transforms the church. Christ is our righteousness. You see, we are separated from God. Because we're sinners, and because we have no righteousness on our own, we are separated from God. But Christ Himself is our righteousness. The Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become... His righteousness. Jesus took on our sin and He gave us His righteousness. We've sinned and been separated from God, but God in Christ Jesus has put Christ's righteousness on us and has brought us back together with Him. The Gospel transforms the church because Christ is our righteousness. We've been transformed and brought back into relationship with Him. We've been set free from sin's penalty. Second, Christ is our sanctification. Christ is our sanctification. He's saving us from the power of sin. Sanctification means that what God has done is He set us apart and He walks with us while He matures us. So sanctification is that what we understand as a part of salvation, but it's this part of the salvation. Once we've been made right with God and saved from our sins, then this part of our salvation is where, where God sets us apart And then He walks with us and He leads us and He makes us right with Him. Not that we were positionally right already, but what He does is He walks with us and He matures us and He makes us like Christ. And this last one here, Christ is our redemption. Redemption meaning that He bought us, meaning that He paid for us. That there was payment that was made and that He saves us from sin's presence. Going to ask if our um, musicians would come back. And to also ask that you would bow your heads. So I invite us to respond to the gospel. Hear this message of the gospel clearly in the next few minutes. We were created in God's image. Every one of us created. And God's image. We had open relationship and fellowship with God. But we sinned against God. And our sin separated us from Him. But God had a plan and He sent His Son. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But it's the power of God to those who are called. To those who are saved. God had a plan and He sent forth His Son, Jesus, who became a man. Who was born to a virgin, who lived a sinless life, lived a perfect life. He died a horrible death. He was buried and then was resurrected back to life. And the scripture tells us that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I invite you this morning to respond to him. Also, invite the believers this morning who are already believers in Christ, invite you to repent in humility. The Gospel humbles us. Ask to repent. Ask that we would repent when we're not satisfied by what Christ has done for us. When we sit in our guilt and shame and we think there's no way the Lord can use us because of our guilt. Pray that we would repent and see that we're guiltless. For those that are afraid that we can't do this on our own, I pray that we are communicated by the gospel, that we are gifted by you, that we can't do it on our own, but we are not on our own. That you satisfy our every need. Father, I pray that we repent when unity is not our goal. When the cross of Christ and the one who has died for us is not king of our lives, but when we have made kings and kingdoms of ourselves, of one another, Father, I pray that we would repent and that You would give us unity. Father, I pray for the transforming power of Christ in our hearts, that we've been made right with You, that You are saving us from the power of sin, that You've saved us from the penalty of sin, And the ongoing struggle of sin's presence, you're removing from our lives. Father, I pray that we would repent and we would turn to the gospel that saves this morning. Pray these in Jesus' name. I invite you to stand and respond to the Lord this morning.